With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on? Oh, Mom. No. <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Media Podcast Network. This is What the Heck with Mike Heck on MMAFighting.com. Now, here is your host, Mike Heck. What the heck? Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to a brand new edition of What the Heck here on MMA Fighting. Hope you're all having a great start to the week. Of course, UFC 260 went down on Saturday night. We've been talking a lot about it since Francis Ngannou became the heavyweight champion of the world, knocking out Stipe Miocic in the second round in Las Vegas. And we're going to continue to talk about it on the program this week, some different perspectives on the festivities. And on top of that, as you may have seen by now, John Jones has been tweeting up a storm. The fight between Francis Ngannou and John Jones, in my opinion, is the biggest fight that could be made right now. We knew it wouldn't be easy to get there. So far, it hasn't been easy to get there. I know it's only been two or three days since the event happened, but hopefully, hopefully we can get this thing done for the summertime since that's when Francis wants to rock and roll. But congratulations to Francis Ngannou, his coaches Dewey Cooper and Eric Nixick. Just amazing. All, all, all of his countrymen, all the fans of, of Francis Ngannou have been waiting for this moment. Just incredible stuff, incredible performance, inspirational story for sure, and it couldn't happen to to a better guy. One of the one of the nice guys in the sport, of course, Steve Bay, one of the great great individuals in our sport as well. And uh, it was a great fight. It was an interesting fight. It had a lot of questions heading in. Francis Ngannou answered all the questions, and we're gonna have more on UFC 260. That fight in particular coming up in a matter of moments. As a matter of fact. Uh, Please forgive me, one, for my voice. I've been talking a lot over the last several days. Allergies in the air. The New England weather has been absolutely ridiculous. It's like 78 degrees last Thursday, 68 degrees on Friday. I actually played golf Saturday morning without a jacket on. And then Sunday, rain, cold. Woke up this morning, 
Went to the gym like 5.30 in the morning, snowing. It was snowing. Could not believe it, but that is New England for you. And because of that, beats me up weather-wise. Plus, my wife and my son are upstairs trying to sleep, so I don't want to wake them up because I don't want to get yelled at. But that's that. That's why I'm talking a little bit lower. But no UFC this week. They'll be back on April 10th. The card headlined by Darren Till versus Marvin Vittori. It's the second UFC event on ABC. That's a big fight. That's a that's a big event as well. But Bellator is back for the first time this year. On Friday, Bellator 255, we got Patricio Pitbull versus Emmanuel Sanchez for the featherweight title as the main event. It's also the last semifinal bout for the featherweight Grand Prix. And the winner of that fight will go on to defend their title against AJ McKee in the finals. Chance at a million bucks. A lot on the line in that main event. Plus, we got Neiman Gracie versus Jason Jackson. That will actually be the co-main event. The Bellator debut of Usman Nurmagomedov versus... Mike Hamill, uh, Kana Watanabe is on that card, fighting Alejandro Lara. Tyrell Fortune was supposed to fight Matt Mitrione, as we confirmed earlier on Monday. Matt Mitrione is out of the fight. The rematch between Tyrell Fortune and Jack May will go on in its place. And it's on Showtime. So that's huge. So there you go. For those that are still hankering for MMA, even though the UFC is not on, you got Bellator. And that's exciting. But right now, as far as this show goes, let us run down the lineup and we'll get to our first guest. We're going to wrap things up with Laura Sanchez. We mentioned Bellator coming back this week. The PFL will be back at it very soon as well. Laura Sanchez, part of the PFL women's lightweight roster, a touted prospect out of Rufus Sport with Duke Rufus. I know she's trained a lot with Anthony Pettis. He's had a lot of great things to say about her, Sergio Pettis as well. Laura's actually a former... Division one and professional basketball player. She's got a really interesting story about how she got into MMA and got to this point. She kicks off her season May 6th, PFL 3 in Atlantic City against Jenna Fabian. She will join us to wrap things up later on. Michael Chiesa will be back on the show, fresh off the airplane, literally fresh off the airplane, got in the car, jumped on Skype, made this happen. Super busy guy. Just called LFA 103 in Oklahoma on Friday. Wanted to get his thoughts on Francis Ngannou's big win, John Jones, and most notably, since it's in his division, the big win for Vicente Luque over Tyron Woodley in the co-main event of UFC 260 on Saturday. We'll talk to the Maverick a little bit later on. Got the former UFC flyweight champion Demetrius Johnson back on the program coming up in around 25 minutes or so he has a fight on the books next thursday april 7th he will challenge adriana marais for the one championship flyway title at one on tnt one this is a very big deal for one getting on tnt getting on a a good time slot for the united states audience this is massive and it's always great catching up with dj getting his first fight since 2019 we'll cover the fight and a whole lot more always great catching up with dj but first let us talk UFC 260 with a man that I have a lot of respect for in this industry. And just a quick story, and I'm actually kind of mad at myself that I forgot about this story. But I was just looking back at some like old DMs earlier today. And I remembered this when I was first starting to get going with the MMA interviews. It's probably like six, seven months into this thing when I started really getting going. I interviewed Corey Anderson for the first time. This is probably in like 2015. I want to say it was 
after he beat Jan Blachowicz. But it was like one of those interviews where I was like, damn, like this is a really good interview. Like when it was over, because Corey was just on fire. Like it was great. He just was saying so many great things. It really stuck out. And I remember we released it, podcast form, because we were just audio back then. I was a radio guy. And then like two days later, like out of the blue, I got a DM on Twitter from John Gooden telling me he listened to the interview. He had a lot of really positive things to say. And it was something that gave me a lot of confidence and reminded me from my radio days that anybody could be listening at any time. So it was a great lesson. That DM meant a lot. I'm pissed that I forgot all about it while I was talking to the man. But six years later, I'm honored to have John Gooden join me for a chat right here on What The Heck. Here it is. All right, with UFC 260 in the books and creating some really interesting post-event conversation, I wanted to keep this thing rolling along. So with that, I'm happy to be joined by one of the great commentators and broadcasters for the UFC, Mr. John Gooden joins the program for the first time. John, how are you, sir? Doing all right. How are you? I'm doing great. It is phenomenal to have you here. A lot to discuss. First of all, the big story from, from Saturday night, we got a brand new heavyweight champion of the world, John. Francis Ngannou has climbed the mountaintop. He answered all the questions from UFC 220. He looked sensational, pitched essentially a perfect game in my eyes, and he knocks out Stipe Miocic in the second round. What a story this is to see him come and get this title, overcome all that adversity. So I was curious, what was your overall assessment of the new champion's performance against Stipe on Saturday night? Yeah, I can't move away from the the journey of where he's come from and reaching the very top in such a short amount of time. You know, it's absolutely crazy to think how long he's been practicing combat sports for, you know, essentially came straight into mixed martial arts, really. Uh, within five years, got his first title shot. We're now five years on from there. That's utterly ridiculous in many respects. But to, to answer your question, he answered the questions, right? He showed that he'd evolved. Uh, I did an Inside the Octagon with Walt Harris, who'd been down uh, and trained alongside Francis and was speaking with Eric Nixick about their long-term plan. And it was always about preparing for Stipe. So every camp that they had, there was a percentage of it that was tailored towards beating the champion, which is smart. Because, uh, of course, it's not enough that you've got to go and prepare for another terrifyingly powerful human being. you are you know, got eyes on the baddest man on the planet. But th that is a, a very sensible and smart thing to do. And it definitely paid dividends. He looked brilliant. And, uh, yeah, I was surprised by a few things like the size and weight that he came in at. Uh, but in terms of his actual performance, I mean, pretty faultless. I've watched the last 20 or so seconds of that fight probably 50 times by now. And what is crazy is Francis drops Stipe early in the second. He pounces. Stipe is able to get back up to his feet, lands a big uppercut as Stipe is trying to get some space in between them. And then Stipe lands this really sharp right hand that clearly got Ngannou's attention. It kind of stopped him in his tracks. And Stipe knew he got his attention, kind of hurt him a little bit, went in to pounce on the opportunity, and Francis just landed a short left hand, and that was the beginning of the end. It's almost unfair, isn't it, John? Like, even when you put this man in danger, it's just as dangerous to go after him and try to win the fight after that. It's wild, is it not? Yeah, I, I I put out a video on my own channel and my reference point was that was the same punch that won Stipe Mircic 
the UFC heavyweight championship against Verdum. He was backing up against Verdum. Verdum was chasing him. And whilst he was retreating, he got a bit of purchase on the canvas. And he had like this hook shot. And um, the first time Dan Hardy and I looked at that, he had like a 90 degree angle bend in his arm. And Dan, you know, being a, a very much one of the kings of the, the, the hook, he was saying how it was so unique that he was able to generate this kind of power, etc. Verdum couldn't take that punch. Uh, I'm not saying it's like a complete uh, a piece of tracing paper between the two, but certainly Francis wore it very, very well. And if we listen into what his post-fight comments were, he said at that point, Stipe was, at, was playing into his game plan a little bit. And now they're within those ranges where if Ngannou touches you, he puts you out. And what I also liked about his work was how clean it was this time, because the Rosenstreich fight, for me, looked untidy. And I'm not saying that it needs to be tidy to be effective, but it was very different in the way that he, he was able to execute against Stipe, just refined a bunch of stuff. But talk about everything coming together when it needed to. Uh, I mean, you... I love Stipe Miocic. I've, I've had the pleasure of hanging out with him during fight weeks, like International Fight Week. I saw him like kicking back with with a few guys, including Max Holloway. It was really good just seeing everyone getting getting along. Fun guy. I mean, like, a, a real kind of hero, right? Um, and it's and it's tough to see those those guys lose, especially when they're such big, like physically big human beings. But um, but at the same time, what Francis has, has done. And what this win will mean for his supporters, his people, it, I mean, it's just mind-blowing. Yeah, those videos of, you know, people back at his hometown watching the fight and even like Israel Adesanya watching it was just so, good. so cool to watch, man. And, you know, you, you mentioned flawless and everything Francis does is like with pure power, like even that sprawl in the first round. And honestly, like when he <laughs> sprawled, the first thing I thought of was the movie Happy Gilmore. I don't know if you've seen it. You probably have at some point, but Happy yeah. makes Happy's going up against Shooter McGavin in the Tour Championship, and he makes this long putt, and then he looks at Shooter and goes, "Happy learned to putt." Uh oh, and Francis learns how to stuff a takedown. Uh oh, like as soon as I saw yeah. that, I was like, "Oh boy, this is uh this is wild." But seeing a calm, relaxed Francis and Ganu with some defensive wrestling now, how do you beat this guy? Yeah, well, time will tell, right? <laughs> I mean. It's you start looking at the the picture and the guy that I thought might have had his number was was Curtis. I'm not saying that Curtis doesn't beat him if they fight ten times. Um, he, Curtis certainly has that that style that will give Francis will give anyone problems. Don't get me wrong, but it will give Francis problems. But Francis has the equalizer with that power, you know, and a well placed uppercut on someone shooting in without the very best setup. And it's good night. So it's it's funny how we, I don't think we will see this fight right now, but how the Derek Lewis fight might follow on from like Stipe like we did with the first fight, uh, we'll see. And I don't see that many people calling for either the Lewis fight or the or the um, the fight with Stipe. I did a little poll on my Twitter and it was overwhelming for a John Jones fight. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll take it, but it's just funny how we move on so quickly. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Stipe is one of the great human beings in our sport, widely considered the greatest of all time in the heavyweight yeah. division. He certainly deserves 
the rematch and the trilogy fight since they're tied at one. But, you know, John, as well as anybody being in the sport for so long deserves is such a tough word to justify in mixed martial arts. And like you said, John Jones, he's sitting out there waiting, wanting this fight. And to me, this is the biggest fight the UFC can make right now. And I'm incredibly fascinated by heavyweight John Jones and a fight with France and Ghana for the heavyweight title. Like the negotiations, I'm sure are going to hit some speed bumps. It seems like we're already hitting some speed bumps, according to John Jones on Twitter, but they have to get this done, right? Like this is the fight to make. Yeah, 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 I think so. And you you say right now, I mean, tell me about many bigger fights than this. You know, I just, it's fantasy matchmaking that people have been doing since Francis started really generating a bunch of interest. People were, were starting to ask those questions. And I, and I am interested in seeing a stressed out, John Jones, because I don't feel, and this is no disrespect to anyone that he's faced recently, but he's been able to manage the tempo of fights very much to his liking for a long time now. And his voodoo that he has over that 205 pound weight class is just phenomenal. You go up to the heavyweight division, and I'm sure in, even in John's mind, he's not 100% on how he's going to feel when he gets clubbed by a man that walks around at like 263 pounds and can <laughs> and can throw a shot and that's not just John that's so that's not just Francis I was thinking about this just generally I mean they weren't going to give him like a, a, a heavyweight newcomer it's John Jones for crying out loud so he was always going to go right in at the top with individuals that have mad skills so, uh, so yeah, it's going to be interesting, and I'd love to see how how Jones responds because I, I think for him as a martial artist that's always looking to one up himself, he what that's I guess that's one of the reasons why he's going up as well. So it, it's going to be a, a fascinating challenge for him. Yeah, that's exactly it. I feel like he's going to be really up for this one. Not saying he wasn't up for Santos and Dominic Reyes and fights like that. I'm sure he. Just he felt extremely confident he was going to win those fights. But this one, he knows he's got to mind his P's and Q's at all times. That's going to get him out of bed and get him excited. So hopefully we can get this thing done. And we have a, a lot to talk about in that regard. But let's move to the welterweight division because Vicente Luque submits Tyron Woodley in the first round in the co-main event. Tyron showed up ready to rumble. He had Luque in trouble. Luque was able to weather the storm. He hurt Tyron badly and then put him away. And I figured... Tyron Woodley, win or lose, would be the story coming out of this fight, but not enough love being shown to uh, Vicente Luque for the biggest win of his career. What did you think of that fight and Luque finally getting over that hump as a legit contender at 170 pounds? Yeah, I've I've loved his work for a long time. Uh, he, he's been around a couple of shows that I've done internationally, so I've had the chance to sit down with him and speak to him, learn how intelligent he is. The man speaks three languages, minimum, and he's, yeah, he's just very well thought out, very articulate, you know, good looking guy, family man. There's like, what's not to like? Very, very marketable. I mean, I don't know. He might be a big star in Latin America. It needs to really cross over for people like you and I to feel those vibrations of whether someone's, you know, really moving the needle. But then I, the call out for me was a little disappointing in a way. I, I just feel like, this is your opportunity to really stake your claim at the top of that division. I know what he was aiming for, and it's a, it would be a, a brilliant fight, violent, violence 
personified. But you are, if it wasn't for that Wonder Boy fight, he would be right there with Leon Edwards with one of the most ridiculous win streaks in the welterweight division, in the history of the welterweight division. Of course, he did He did encounter Stephen Thompson, so that moves him down. I'm just trying to give you some, or give the, the viewers some perspective on where this guy is. And that fight with Wonderboy, it wasn't like a walkover. Like, whenever you see Vicente Luque, he is, he's a hard fight for anyone. And I do put him in a similar class to Leon Edwards. And it's weird that they kind of met. They just... Neither of them, despite their wonderful work, and Luke is a fight finisher as well, it, they're just not grabbing the attention of the UFC fans to the level that I perhaps think that they deserve to. But maybe it's a slow burn, and that doesn't mean that they're not going to get to the top. But I just think that there could have been a more calculated strategic call-out on the back of that so that you and I would be sitting here now, like we have done with... Uh, Francis Ngannou talking about or, or picking apart a, a specific styles matchup that's ahead of of Vicente Luque. Why not call out Leon Edwards? You know, I, I think that that is a, the sort of fight that, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure Leon would hate that. Probably, probably going to call me up when he hears me say that. But I'm just putting my Vicente Luque cap on for a second. There's so many that you could have called out and. Nick Diaz, sorry, Nick Diaz has a, a very unique view on who he should be fighting right now that I'm not sure many of the matchmakers share with him, but, you know, he can call he can call his shot. It's his prerogative. I've never thought that Vicente Luque might be on that list. So we'll see. But let's not take away from the, the, the performance. Again, talk about shutting down, like, one of the greatest welterweights we've ever seen step inside the octagon a reinvigorated Tyron Woodley. And Luke just had an answer for everything. An answer, a counter, and then took control of the fight on the biggest fight of, of your UFC career. You know, bravo. I actually, I saw a lot of people kind of had an issue with the call out. I didn't have a huge issue with it, only because Nate did some media. I, I know he spoke with ESPN and he talked about, um, he wants to fight guys on win streaks that are surging. That would be fun fights. Like putting Charles Oliveira on that short list for him was kind of surprising to me. So I felt like if you were going to make that call, now is the time to do it because you're winning fights. You're, you're finishing guys. You just put away a former champion. If you're going to do it, I felt like now was the time to do it. Unlikely as it might be, I didn't have a huge issue with the call out, but had he called out Leon Edwards, I think that would have been a smarter call because they fought before Leon has a win over him chance to get it back. That was so long. It was many, many years ago. Yeah. I, I think that would probably be a better call. Out. That seems to be a more popular match, but in terms of calling on Nate, I didn't have a huge problem with that. I understood what he was doing, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> I think I've, I echo your point a hundred percent. I'm just trying to think of, how in these very challenging times <clears throat> in a welterweight division that is interesting at the top, like not a lot really going on, it's suffering. And you could inject yourself there, make a strategic play, make things a little bit easier for the matchmakers at the UFC. And all of a sudden you might, you know, you might leap, leap up again. Um, Wonderboy, like I don't know. It's, there's there's a couple there that you could definitely go after again. And I'm sure that he would like to get those fights back. 
you're in a good position to call those people out now. Um, I just thought that, listen, I would love to see him fight Nate Diaz. I think that's a really fun fight. And I'm sure he'll earn a lot of money and he'll he'll get a fantastic name on the back of it. But right now, I'm weighing up the probability of that happening with your career and your ascension through that division in a time where I think it's primed for someone to go, hey, I'm the new kid here right now, and I'll take on any of you. I've just taken out the former champion. I just think he had leverage, you know, leverage that Leon Edwards sadly didn't get after his fight with Tyron Woodley was was cancelled, you know, this time last year. So it, it's the kind of opponent that you want to that you want to springboard from. And uh, yeah, I, again, don't hate it, don't love it either. Fair enough. Um, I, I felt I feel like within that top five, top six region, definitely in the top five, Leon's probably like the more likely candidate of all of them. So it made a lot of sense. There's Kiesa there. That could that could work as well. But we'll see what happens there. Welterweight is just fascinating. So many unanswered questions. But before that all happens, Sean O'Malley comes back, gets a huge win, got I guess a pair of walk-off knockouts, capped it <laughs> off in the third round against Thomas Almeida. The guy's an incredible prospect at 135 pounds, John. How good was the Sugar Show on Saturday on Saturday night? Give me more of that Sugar Show. Ah, <laughs> oh, spoonfuls of that Sugar Show. I love it. I re I really really love his fight style. I think it's fantastic. A fast twitch athlete like that. The variety of skills that he possesses. It's just phenomenal. And then I saw him on quintet and now i've said that i've forgotten who it was that that he beats but but like world-class grapplers going out there and beating world-class grapplers in grappling competitions like the kid is the kid is brilliant really is and he's obviously got that star power we've seen that now and uh, i don't need to talk to that but but strictly speaking about his technical skills like, wow he is as a skinny as a skinny power guy, someone who who would love you know with my old pipe cleaners, <laughs> I, I mean I'm old enough to probably be his dad, so it's not going to happen for me now. But I I would always aspire to be able to be as loose and use the kind of weapons uh, that he does very well. You know I had a, a karate background, so like a lot of a lot of kicks. I love the way that he kicks. He's just so loose, so hard to read. And we that um that that look to the side that he does a lot. We see that a lot in soccer actually, when you're you kind of pass the ball and look the other way. Um, but even doing that, us mere mortals, when you switch your glance like that in a high stress capacity, you have little crystals in your inner ear that can get upset. If you're also taking kicks and punches to the head and those crystals are, are not quite set right. I mean, yeah, that makes most people nauseous. So, you know, I, I just think what he does is very, very special, really, really special. He's got everything that it takes to climb to the top. Uh, again, I, I, there's certain things I don't like about his, his approach, like not accepting the Cheeto Vera loss, but I'm not going to tell him to be any different because he has the kind of mindset and that bulletproof, that that cloak that he wears, that mental fortitude that is necessary in in this day and age, go to the top. You know, he he's got everything that you need. Just uh, he can take it steady. And I, whoever he steps in to face, like I, I just love watching him fight. Speaking of 
Bantamweights who have made a living off of mindset and movement. It appears as if Dominic Cruz seems to be interested in a, in a fight with Sean O'Malley. And that would be a very interesting matchup. And I know Sean would love to get one back for his friend and his teammate, Casey Kenny. I love the matchup. The question I have is, is now the time for it? Like I know he had the loss to Cheeto Vera. A lot of people thought that was a, maybe too big of a step up in competition. Who really knows? I know that ended in a weird way, but Cheeto <laughs> definitely won the fight. But with Sean being this like must must watch TV guy right now, people will watch him fight anybody. Is the time now to maybe entertain a fight with a guy like Dominic Cruz or is maybe still a little too soon? We want to build him up as slowly as possible. He's so young that even if he does take a step back, he can still climb again. You know, I, I, mixed martial arts, we're used to losses and he seems to have that mental capability that it's not going to crack him. He's not, it's not going to, you know, make him hide under a rock. He's already had a challenging career, you know, to, to get where he is. He's encountered a lot of stuff for his young years, like in professional fighting. So I think he's well equipped. So if it doesn't go his way, then he's gone up against one of the, the all-time legends. So, you know, the expectation, all of a sudden, the betting lines are very different to when you might see a, a Sean O'Malley walk into a fight. So that's a different dynamic for him. Yeah, go for it. Like, I, I'm I'm happy to see that. That is a golden ticket right there. If if Dominic Cruz is offering you that opportunity, like, that, you can't really pass that up. So I, I would advise him to take that. And if it doesn't work out, plenty of time to rebuild. Well said. 260 was a, a fun card. No event this week. Darren Till back next week against, or the week after against Martin Vittori on ABC. Big one at, at 185 pounds, is it not? Yeah, it's really big for him. And it's kind of been laden with even more pressure now that you've got the champ saying that he's interested in a fight with you. Um. You can't help but take notice of that, I think, if you're Darren Till, because things haven't gone his way. He's been in some, you know, some tough fights and and you're still within reach of the title. And again, I mean, the middleweight division is an interesting one, right? I think Robert Whittaker has caused all kinds of problems by bouncing back the way that he has done, just showing how quality he is and just fending off the rest of the the order, but then being so far apart from Adesanya, well, on that night, but then when you've got Eugene Behrman and Israel coming out saying, not interested in that fight, we did what we had to do, not interested in that, and he's gone away and done what he needed to do, but it still looks like they don't want to rerun that city kickboxing. So that does open up opportunities for other people. You know, Jack Comanson not... Uh, getting the victory as well. You, you, we're seeing some some other guys creep up now. So it's it's big stakes for, for Darren Till. Very tough fights. Um yeah, but if you're if if you're in Liverpool right now, you're you're gonna be pushing hard because what lies in waiting again, making the job easy for the matchmakers, and they do like that. And Darren is a huge star, really is a huge star in the UK right now. Like he's, he's the guy. So yes, there's a lot of pressure for him coming into this. Absolutely. Um, the other reason I wanted to have you on today, John, was to discuss a tweet I saw earlier today. It is Monday as we record this. It was a video that you'd put out in regards to MMA gyms in the UK dealing with a lot of hardship 
because of the pandemic and they're struggling to make ends meet and it's a pretty awful situation. So you have stepped in and you have created a fundraiser. You could check it out now if you're watching at keepingthelightson.net. So I wanted to give you the floor to expound on that and you know, kind of talk about how this all came together. Oh, well, thank you very much for, yeah, the opportunity to talk about it. So it's something that I've been working on for a long time, actually. If you go into the fundraiser, I think I, I may have created it in November, maybe even October. But um, when I started mentioning it to a few people, like some people at the UFC, it started getting a little bit bigger in the thought process. And I thought, if I'm going to do this, I need to do this right and really think about it. Even though we're we're coming to the end of uh, these restrictions in the UK come June, actually, when I mean, not quite June 1st, but the roadmap is that we're going to be going back to a more open kind of life and we'll be back in gyms, etc. Thank the Lord. But that doesn't discount the fact that businesses are struggling to stay afloat right now and have been for some time. So what it really was over here, and I, I'm not sure what it's like in North America, but mixed martial arts isn't recognized by the government. It's, so therefore, and like sport for England is is a particular one where it's it's grassroots. I without really layering this and get, getting into a long story, but but it's very top down our sport in the UK. We've got the UFC and that kind of underpins everything else because there's not a lot of stuff like growing up. Like the UFC didn't build blocks it's been like this big overarching thing, which is very unusual. So we rely on the success of the UFC to keep people understanding what mixed martial arts is rather than it being in schools and everyone growing up with it. So all of the stuff around the UK right now has just been flat and dead. Um, as I said, the governments don't have any backing for it. The jiu-jitsu community comes together, I feel, in, in these times. and. I said to a friend of mine, I've seen a couple of uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu coaches driving Bentleys. I've never seen an MMA uh, coach driving a Bentley in the UK. So there must be something that's, that those guys are doing doing well. And it's different, right? You can get a lot of different age groups in and things of that nature. And good luck to them. But I always feel like mixed martial arts is, is the poor cousin. And it doesn't get the the help that it, that it's, that it needs. We just don't have the infrastructure. So, I mean, what can I do? Like, not a great deal, but I do have a pretty decent contacts list. So I thought, well, I can just start a GoFundMe. Like, there's no harm in that. I can reach out to businesses. I can reach out to individuals. And also, I can maybe get some stuff signed. I'm willing to drive around the country with a few T-shirts and get some UFC fighters to put their signature to it. And then I'll auction it off. But I have to say, it was causing me a lot of stress, even that process, right? So one, how do you do the auction? Because I'm not a registered charity. Then some auction sites, you need to pay for them and they take a cut. So I'm like, okay, well, that seems complicated. But then I'm doing it through my own eBay. People are probably going to have issue with that. But like, what am I supposed to do? So then I have to be really transparent. And then also, I don't want to be the man the person making the decision on where this money goes to. Like I want as far away from that process as, I, as possible. So then that will go to like an online poll where the, I will just let everyone know, look, go and read like a, a summary of the story of why this gym um, is looking to get that funding or why they've been nominated. And hopefully we'll have a few. 
And then we can have like a, a vote here type list. And then the numbers will come together and the winner will, will get this cash injection. I'm just trying to do something, Mike. You know, it, it's so tough. And I just think if I can leverage anything, it's my contacts list. Like you very kindly uh, picked up on this and you've given me the platform. So hopefully someone who listens to this either decides that they'll put whatever it costs for a, a cup of coffee into the GoFundMe, or indeed they might be a business where they say, well, look, I can offer something like a, a if they're in our space, a piece of kit, even if it's something else like an experience, or I'm going to call up Bruce Buffer, see if he can throw me one of those cameos that he enjoys doing. Anything like that, which might have a value to someone, I can auction it off and then that money can go in the pot. And listen, if we get multiple thousands of pounds on the back of this, I'd love to just cut that money in half and maybe help two gyms. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed. It's been a, a bit of a slow start, but I'm I'm going to try and, and keep hammering this over, well, you know, through the spring. And and hopefully we'll we'll get a good pot of money that will go to good use because I for one have suffered through not being able to attend uh, my my own gym. There are young, we're going to have a bit of a black hole I think maybe next year where there's there's where there's not talent. Amateurs are having to go out and get jobs. Pros are stepping away from the sport. They got to they got to um, provide for their family. It's really really damn tough and. You need the gym there to support everything. Giving the money to a fighter is one person, but a gym is the home. Is there's a tribe of people there, and that's what we need to protect. Yeah, and it's it's one thing about this community in MMA and, and combat sports. It can be a little rough at times, especially around the edges. It can be a little bit negative, but I feel like when something needs to be done or get done, especially at this level, people seem to come together and come through in a big way as a collective. Like it's a it's 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 a pretty cool thing when these things come together. Who knows? Like I don't know if you follow like Barstool Sports at all, but they're doing like the Barstool Fund with like the different restaurants and bars and stuff. Like right. this could be like the MMA gym equivalent of that. That would be an amazing thing. Hey, listen, I, I'd love to think that. I could establish something now. I'm always a dreamer. I, I always have these high hopes, but I'd love to have like a fund in place for UK mixed martial arts, or even, you know, or mixed martial arts, because we're so young and this generation of fighters will age. And even the ones that have gone before that we saw down like UFC 38, like the, the representation we had back then, if some of those guys need a surgery done in the future, and we are in the process of creating a pot that can be apportioned out to these kind of things. Like, wouldn't that be great? I just feel like we almost have to own that process at the moment whilst we don't have that government backing. I know that there are people doing really good work with um, the English Mixed Martial Arts Federation and, and IMAF are doing good stuff as well. Um, but like... I, that, that shouldn't stop me from trying to do something at the same time. And hopefully then we can join all of these pieces up if we're all um, starting a few fires around the place and together we'll be stronger. Love, love this. Love everything about it. Uh, again, keeping the lights on.net. Go check that out. Nominated Jim. Oh, I had a, uh, a T-shirt <clears throat> designed as well. So little story about this. 
I am not narcissistic enough to put a call that I had on a, well, apparently I am actually, um, on a t-shirt, but someone messaged me after Joaquin Buckley's uh, knockout and said, oh, real life ninja stuff, you should put that on a t-shirt. And I was like, no, thank you. It was a bit of a cheesy call, not for me. And now, as I said, I was kind of thinking about this, this GoFundMe at the time. And I thought, you know what, I could probably do something where I'll... I'll put some of the money from this T-shirt. So 20% of the price of the T-shirt will go into the pot. So every T-shirt that I sell. Now, the guy, uh, Reese Stocker, a guy I train with, he made that design. Uh, we came together and did that. I spoke to um, Joaquin Buckley's management about that to see if he was cool with it. So I'll be getting a couple over to him. But yeah, I've done that. And I've also gone to another uh, artist in mixed martial arts, uh, Adam Osborne, and he's drawn me up another T-shirt celebrating Anderson Silva's knockout of Vitor Belfort, which I'm really excited to get put on a T-shirt as well. You know, same deal. I'm going to put that 20% into, into this pot as well. So I'm trying to leverage a couple of different things here. And with that, I'm going to keep this, I'm enjoying this like brand thing with the clothing. So I'm going to keep that going and and I might try and figure out a way that we can, again, just feed into some great big pot. I say great, little, tiny little pot that we hopefully get to be a great big pot as time goes on. This is amazing. Um, again, it's uh, keeping the lights on.net. Uh, one last thing. You got to chat with the newest member of the UFC roster earlier today, Patty yeah. Pimblett. He finally gets the call. He's made it to the dance. For those who are not aware of young Patty the Batty from his Cage Warriors experience and, and some of those phenomenal performances just had one recently. What can fans expect from him when he makes that walk to the octagon for the first time? Oh, he's got some attitude. He's got some <laughs> attitude. You know, people are going to start making comparisons to Darren Till because they're both from Liverpool. So you're going to recognize the accent. Some of you may not be able to interpret the accent very well, but let me tell you, he has a legion of fans when he's headlined, <clears throat> and when it actually, whenever he's fought on Cage Warriors, he's brought you know coach loads of people that make great big noise, and his walkouts are sensational. So if you ever go and watch him fight, don't skip to the fight action. Take in the whole experience because it really is with Paddy. You'll see he's got his signature haircut, long hair, blonde locks, looks super young. If you were looking at him, like if you crossed him in the street, you'd never expect it. You'd think he was a, a music student or an art student, something of that nature. But then when he's walking to the octagon, he has a lot of fun, but he never takes his eye off of his opponent. He, he burns holes through their eye sockets whilst he gets there. He's very intense in those moments and he's got skills. Typically, we've sort of celebrated his grappling and the way that he's been able to finish fights with submissions. But uh, he's in his last fight that he just had showed his hands are getting really good as well, physically getting stronger. So yeah, he took some time. He had two previous offers from the UFC, finally accepted them this time. Seems like a smart call. And I'm excited to see how he performs against all of these guys. He's making big, um, big predictions already. He reckons he'll be a main event fighter in two or three fights. So you know, high aspirations, but I like it. I like that ambition. So let's see. 
There you go. You are the man, John. Thank you for the time. Again, that link to support the fundraiser to, to help gyms in the UK, to nominate a gym, to get some much needed help and, and relief. Keeping the lights on.net is the place to go for all that. All the best to you, John, with this endeavor. Appreciate the time and can't wait to see you on any of these broadcasts once things start opening up again. Oh, I very much appreciate it. And listen, thank you so much for giving me a, a platform to do it. I didn't reach out to you to do this. You, you hit me up. So thank you very much. That means a great deal. It really does. Thank you. We're this close to crowning an NBA champ. And with the action heating up on the court, it's even hotter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet. Up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Great stuff right there from John Gooden. What a guy. I absolutely love what he's doing to try and help the gyms in the United Kingdom. Support him and this cause if you can. Really appreciate him coming on the show. Jump on John Gooden's Twitter for more information. He left a great video, and that's what kind of inspired this conversation to even happen. We threw in some 260 talk as well. But let's move ahead to one of the all-time greats, pound for pound, in the history of our great sport. Back in action, a shot at another title to add to his collection of many titles on April 7th. One championship, one on TNT, one. Let us welcome back. Demetrius Johnson. All right, happy joined once again by the former longtime UFC flyweight champion. He's back in action for the first time since October of 2019. He's going to take on Adriana Marais for the one flyweight title at the promotion's inaugural event on TNT, coming up on April 7th, less than two weeks away from the return of DJ. Good to see you, man. How are you? No good. It feels good to be back. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a big deal, man. Not just because like you just said, you have a fight on the books for the first time in a while, but TNT, this is probably what you were hoping for when you signed with one being part of a big card, a big deal like this on an outlook, outlook like TNT, excuse me. This is great stuff. Is it not? Yeah, absolutely. You know, especially to cater to the American audience. Um, you know, I know a lot of people are used to me fighting on their own time zone, uh, not so late in the morning. So with this, with TNT and one championship coming together, collaborating and getting this title fight on you know, live television, it's going to be phenomenal. The last time we spoke, you were just sort of waiting for everything to open up in terms of like travel. You've been playing the role of teacher for the kids during the homeschooling, kind of controlling what you can control. And the future for fighting was kind of uncertain. Is it like really refreshing for you to have a date, an opponent, et cetera? Or is there still like a little bit of trepidation with the world being still in the shape that it's in with the pandemic? 
Yeah, it, it feels good, man. It, it feels good that things are slowly starting to get back to normal. You know, one championship's been having a lot of fight cards over in Singapore, and the Singapore government's been phenomenal working with one championship, giving the athletes a green pass. You know, we're doing our best to follow follow all the COVID protocols, and uh, I'm just happy that things are starting to get slowly back to normal. Back in a title fight for the first time since the Henry Cejudo fight, the second one anyways, you've had some three-rounders, but now back to five rounds, back at a title fight at the top of the card. Is it like kind of a more familiar, fresh feeling prepping for a five-round fight? Was it nice to kind of take it back a little bit to the three-rounders since it had been, I don't know, like six years or so since you had a three-round fight? Uh, yeah, it was nice going back to the three-round fights. Uh, it's nice. 15 minutes is literally a sprint for me coming from so many uh, title defenses. Uh, but, you know, I, I like the five-round fights a little bit more because it gives me time to get settled in and impose my will on my game plan and my conditioning as well. When do you when do you head out to Singapore? I mean, it's Thursday the 25th of March as we record. When do you actually head out there? I head out there uh, April 1st. So next next Thursday. Have you been on a plane since the pandemic shut a lot of the stuff down? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've traveled to Singapore, traveled to California. Um, my wife traveled to Arizona. Um, she traveled to Hawaii. So yeah, I, I've been trying to still stay busy. You know, the world shut down, but you still gotta, you know, bills still gotta get paid, right? I mean, electricity and the water, you know, they're gonna shut your shit down regardless if you pay them or well, you need to pay them whether you have a job or not. So I, I wanted to try to keep myself busy as possible outside of the cage or ring. And every single time I was able, I had the opportunity to travel to have a gig, I, I took it. What kind of gigs have you been doing? Um, we just did a shoot with uh, Ubisoft and oh, what's it called? Uh, Rainbow Six Siege. Uh, we did a cool thing with Zach TTG, a big YouTube uh, star, also professional, a uh, former professional, a uh, first-person shooter gamer. Um, went out to Singapore and filmed uh, One Ship Ship the One Apprentice. Uh, and then, other than that, I would see the Food Truck Diary. So just been doing a little media interview and some uh, gaming gigs. Yeah, it feels like you get a fight again, right? <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. How do you like the matchup with with Adriana? Like he's been on a great run as of late. He's held the belt through most of the last like five years or so, whether it be interim or undisputed. He had the one setback, the split decision loss. I think it was in 2018, but he negated that loss in his most recent fight. How do you like the matchup and what have you made of his run as of late? Yeah, uh, he's had a great run. You know, like you said, he, he held it for a long time. He lost to Kyrat Akwatoth, won it back to Kyrat Akwatoth, defended it. Then he lost it to Jay Stakio. Um, and then he won it back from Jay Stakio. So now um, I'm, you know, I'm about to fight him. So it's a good run, uh, and I, I like I like the fight. It's it's a, a good fight for me. Very long, big, great grappler of the weight class, and I'm just gonna go out there and do what I do best, and it's just go out there and fight. Are you enjoying this not cutting to 125 thing? Like how refreshing has that been? Yeah, it's refreshing. You know, the, the guys are a little bit bigger. Um, a, 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 what do I mean, a little bigger, a little bit taller? At this at this weight class at 135, uh, but it is nice and refreshing. And I'm at the age now where I was like, uh, I, I don't want to. There's parts of me it's like I don't mind cutting at 125 because there's almost that um, what's it called? Like, can you can you basically dehydrate dehydrate yourself and put your body at a deficit and then make weight and then bounce back and build a perform at a high high pace performance? I know I can do it, and I almost like that uh, that gamemanship. But as part of me, I was like, dude, you're fucking 34 years old. You don't need to be sitting in a tub trying to cut the 125. Screw this. What do you What do you walk around normally at? 
Um, when I'm training, one thirty-eight. One thirty-eight. So. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll wake up about, you know, 138.2, and I, I have a pretty clean, healthy diet. Like, if I stop training, then my body would get up to, like, 140, but once I start training and, you know, working out, it just, I can't keep weight on. Like, I tried, for four weeks uh, prior to camp, I tried to put on some size. Like, I literally, calorie surplus, lifting heavy, chest and tries, back and buys, legs, like I was literally trying to lift and I didn't put a fucking pound on. <laughs> That's insane, man. There are many men who, uh, you know, who would like to be in your shoes to not be able to put on any weight, no matter what. It's kind of crazy, but, uh, it's, it's interesting because Kevin Ha, I spoke with Kevin Ha on like right before his last fight. And he said he wants to go to 170. And the reason why he wants to go to 170 is because he's never really had the discipline at 185. Like he could basically just do what he wants, live the way he wants, step mm-hmm. on a scale and weigh 183 or 184 and 185. There's that discipline that he's kind of missing from his career, which makes him want to go to 170. So is there, was that a, like kind of a part of a thing with you? Like getting to 125, it's a pain in the ass, but I mean, you've always been a very disciplined guy. So it's not like that was a thing that you, that kind of hurt you along the way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've never missed weight since I've been a child wrestling wrestling in middle school or high school or as an adult. And being disciplined, I've cut eight and a half pounds of one, one, uh, the day before weigh-ins and went out there and still went all five rounds. So for me, I, I think, you know, now me being older, I am more disciplined in my my diet because I have uh, diet restrictions on from my stomach or whatever. But you know, me, I, I'm I'm a disciplined man. This is how I make my money. So why would I want to be disciplined? Exactly. So yeah, I was just kind of curious if like, I mean, obviously it helps you that you don't have to cut that extra weight. But sometimes like fighters, like I only I want to go down a weight class because it keeps me disciplined. It keeps like gives you that extra extra session in the gym or extra run on the on the road. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I feel like when I hear most athletes who want to cut down to a lower weight class, they want to have the size advantage. They want to fight guys who are the same height, not have to deal with bigger athletes. And I totally understand that. Like when you fight someone who's bigger than you, like when I fought Domino Cruz, he's fucking big, huge. Um, and so th- there's that size discrepancy that you're, you're, you're dealing with. Um, for Kevin Holland, you know, he's a big athlete. He's tall, long, and lanky. So maybe for him, maybe he'll see more of – uh, he wants to be more disciplined with himself. So I, I can see him using that as a motivation to get him down to 170 and to be more disciplined. In terms of what you got looking to look forward to on April 7th, what sorts of challenges does Adriana present that like the competitive side of you is like, man, like I'm excited for this test. Like I, th- this is the best part of his game. I'm excited to try to shut it down. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's very good about uh, his fighting style is a little bit different. He, he's a big, big athlete for the weight division. Uh, great grappler, likes to get on your back, likes to lock out the body triangle. Um, and I know in the past my fights, when I fought Tatsumi Tuwada, another big athlete, got the body triangle. It took me for, I think, like three minutes to get them long ass legs untangled from my body. So, you know, I, I'm not going to go out there and just oppose my will. I don't think he's ever fought an athlete like me. I think he's fought, you know, great. Uh, great one discipline athletes, you know, with Kyrie Akhmatov, he's, he's pretty good at the wrestling and stand up. Um, and then Jay Hisaki was pretty good at striking, but I feel the one thing that I do better than both those guys is push the pace and mix it up very, very well. Like I'm not scared. I've been in trouble with my fights and I've been down and I'm not scared to go out there and, and fight. You know what I mean? 
So how do we get this thing done? Like, obviously winning is the most important thing to you at this point, but you've been doing this a long time and you've won a lot of fights, but what are you hoping like the headline reads? Like, what will the story say when it's all said and done on April 7th? What's the goal for you outside of just getting the win and getting another title? Honestly, just going out there and just blowing the bricks off and, and put on a uh, spectacular performance and coming out healthy, right? Like that's my biggest thing is coming out healthy. You know, I've gone to war before and come out and, and been thrashed and, you know, can't, you know, ask myself, why the fuck am I out? I'm doing this? I'm, I'm hurting. I can't even do this and this and this. So that's my biggest thing is I want to come out healthy. So we don't want Figueredo versus Moreno in there. We want to go in there, do our thing, get out yeah. and be unscathed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get in and get out. It's been it's been a weird year in MMA and combat sports. So I, I wanted to get your take on a couple of things, if if I could. Like first off, of course. the different rule set. Like you've obviously been in the UFC, and we've seen this has been a year with like we've seen DQs and no contests and illegal strikes and eye pokes and all sorts of craziness. Like the one thing that obviously sticks out is the ending of the Sterling Piotr Jan fight, where Aljo you know, wins by DQ and becomes the champion. So I'm curious, like fighting from the UFC, going over to one rule sets are different depending on where you go. Like even from state to state, what are your thoughts on that whole situation? The strike, just the rules, etc. Yeah. Obviously rules are put into place to keep the athletes safe, whatnot. Right. And I, I dealt with the exact same thing in 2013, Chicago, UFC and Fox six against John Dotson. Um, I had him make a cage. He put his hand on the ground. I did not take the time to look to see that his hand was on the ground. And it's not my job to make sure to take a look to see if his hand was on the ground. In my opinion, he was in a position, uh, uh, a knowledgeable position that he can defend himself. But I blast him in the face. John McCarthy stopped the fight and said, hey, dude, he was a down. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean he's down? He's, his finger's touching the ground. He's not down. Right. So I've already gone through this before. In December, in this organization, in the UFC, when I fought John Dotson, so to see you know that same thing happen to Ajima Sterling versus Peter Yarn one, big fan of Ajima Sterling, I have nothing against the guy. Each time I give my personal opinion, not that anybody asked about my personal opinion, what you just did, but when I said that on Twitter, I like to play a neutral as a neutral person, right? Like if I was, if I had friends over at my house and they say, why did? He get blasted. Well, they know why he got blasted in the knee because he's on his fucking knees, and the guy's still trying to fight. He's trying to throw a knee, uh, knee on the head. But if I have friends in the house and they're like, "Why did he get DQ'd?" and they're like, "Well, it's a rule that he was on the ground. He's a down opponent." And they're like, "Yeah, he's down, but he's defending. He can clearly defend himself, right?" Um, do I think it's a rule that needs to be changed? I think so. I think it's going to help the fight progress. Um, it's also going to keep people moving. Uh, the biggest thing that my coach tells me is that why should an athlete go to his knees and touch the ground, dictate what I can, what I can and can't do? Like, think about that. And when you and when I, when my coach trains me and had tells me to get have that mindset, it makes sense, right? Like, if I'm getting beat up in a fight and I put my hands and knees on the ground, you have to stop your onslaught. You have to rethink the way you're going to go about, like, trying to. Proceed with the fight. That makes sense. So that's what my mindset was when I was watching that fight because the fight was starting to go in Peter Yarn's favor, right? I felt Peter Yarn was slowly picking him apart, you know, and Alexander sort of had his good shots in there. But once he went down his knees and he was holding his hands, that's that's a problem. If he was he was holding his hands on his knees like praying, and he got blasted, and he's like, oh, and I was like, 
I was like, one, Peter on. I was like, you, like when, when it happened, I was like, Peter on, you fucking idiot. I was like, oh, I was like, you're finally winning the fight. And then you throw this knee and get disqualified. And then I'm like, and then it's just like a wrestling, right? When in, back in the wrestling days, when people get pinned, the first thing your coach says to you goes, you shouldn't have been there in the first place, right? That's that's the wrestling mentality. Like if you get if you get cradled, stacked, or anything like that, your coach says you shouldn't have been in the first place. So that was like my opinion. I was like, Adrian, you're way better than that. Why are you putting yourself in that in that in that position? So, yeah, I think the rules should be changed. I think it'll be good for the sport. I think it'll open up a lot more things, um, and I think people won't use that position as a safety, as like. I'm going to use this because I'm safe, right? And those aren't my words. That's Those are his words to be exact. I remember someone who came on here, not on here, he he said it, he goes, you know, I was in a sa- I knew I was in a safe position. When he said it, I was like, you're in a fucking fight. You're never in a safe position. You shouldn't think that I'm safe here, right? Like, <laughs> so, but yeah. He's, I mean, saying some of the things he said, I mean, he's taken a bit of a beating with how things have been handled since becoming the champion. Like, he doesn't write the rules. It's not his fault. He's the champion now. And he shouldn't have been... And he shouldn't have been put in a position to make that decision anyways. You know what I mean? Like in the fight, like the referee, the doctors, like they should be making the decision. It shouldn't be on Aljo to decide, can I fight anymore? Can I not fight anymore? Like, you should be able to look at him and say... Dude can't fight anymore. Like he looks out to lunch. Take it out of his you hands. Know, Do you agree I, with that? I, I think I, I think you should let the athlete dictate that, right? Because the only athlete knows best, right? I mean, think about that. That knee. Imagine if he hit him with a flying knee. Just saying, a flying knee, right? And he got hit with a flying knee, and he's able to recover, right? If he got hit with a flying knee, and let's say he got blasted flesh. And then he shoots down for a takedown. He takes a couple more strikes and he's able to recover and keep continuing the fight. But he gets blasted of a knee on the ground and still a good knee. And he has five minutes to like sit down, drink some water. How you feeling? You're feeling okay. Okay, shake it off. All right, you feel like you're ready. To, you feel like you still can continue. Because don't get me wrong. Yes, he might have got a concussion, but fuck, when do we not get a concussion when we fight? Right? I mean, so I mean I'm not this is just my opinion. Like I think if I was in a fight and I got blasted, I think they should give the athlete like, hey, how do you feel? Like do you feel that you can t- continue to fight? And you know what? They might say, No, you shouldn't give the athlete the option to continue to fight because who knows he can be concussed and who knows he's going to get further brain damage. But we're already signing up for that. Like there's it's a double edged sword. Like do if you do, damn if you don't, right? So it's a hard thing. I mean, a lot of people might look at this interview saying you can't ask a concussed fighter to see if he can continue or not. But I mean, I don't know. That's just I'm just rambling on. That's interesting because just hearing what you said, like imagine if like the referee just stopped the fight and Aljo was like, "Oh come on, man! Like I was fine, I was fine," and then it would be yeah. a totally different conversation right now. It'd be screw the referee. Yeah. Yeah, one thousand percent. And like I said, if if it was like, if he was down on all four, like gasping for air and and, and about to go on his deathbed and croak over, and he got blasted with that knee, then like, yeah, you, you, that's fucked up. Like you, you, that needs to be stopped. That's a, that's definitely a DQ. Obviously, Peter Young got DQ'd, and I'm sure they're gonna run it back, and I'm sure the fight's gonna be totally different. Um, but with that whole aspect of what happened in that fight, um, I felt. I didn't feel because I wasn't in there. I don't know how Ajima felt, but I feel that the rule just needs to be changed in general. Like I feel like it's going to give a different perspective of people not using that, not saying to, I'm not saying he used it for his his advantage or his benefit, but he was he said that he felt like he was in a safe position when he was on his knees in front of another man. 
any advice you would pass on to Aljo right now? I mean, you are the master of UFC title defenses after all. So <laughs> is there any, is there any, is there any uh, advice you would give young Aljamain Sterling right now a- after that win and how he's, I guess, handled himself with it? No, nah, just, I think, you know, go back to the drawing board. I mean, I felt, I felt like he had the recipe to beat him, right? It's, you know, Peter Yan has a very interesting and unique way of going about his fights, and I'm a big fan of the way he, he goes about it. He's willing to absorb he's willing to absorb punches and shots in order to give his. If you go back and watch that fight, the first two rounds, you know, Azim is doing a good job of like, you know, peppering him, peppering him. But Peter Yan is like, none of that shit hurts. Like he covers his face at a, a different way. So there's a couple times where if he would have sat down and just loaded up on a body shot, just really loaded up on it. Um, that could have paid dividends and made Peter Yan do something different. Um, but yeah, I think just go back, watch the tape, and be ready to have a fight, and don't rely on that one takedown to get him down because it's not going to be as easy as you know we all thought it would have been, right? Um, that he thought it would. I knew it was going to be hard as shit. But yeah, I mean, go out there, stay healthy, you know, enjoy it. I, I know you've talked about the upcoming fight between your one championship uh, apprentice castmate Ben Askren fighting Jake Paul. And I know you're picking Jake Paul to win. If someone handed you money to bet, you're putting it on yeah. Jake Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Uh, <laughs> well, let's, let's all be honest. Um, ben Askren, I think he will, he will talk about it. Ben Askren hasn't been the best striker in the mixed martial arts. Um, do I think he'll be the best striker in boxing? I would say I don't think it's going to happen. When I look at how well you know Jake Paul moves, he actually has some rhythm to his movement. I think Ben Askren, he's he's been a world champion in mixed martial arts because he can grind on somebody, he can wrestle, he can take people out of their element. But when it's boxing and you're in that one element, it's very hard to get somebody out of their element. Yes, he's going to smother him. He's going to do his dirty box and whatever. But yes, I know Jake Paul is a YouTube star, but he's training just as hard as any a world champion is, right? He has he has unlimited access to the best trainers in the world. He has the funding. Not saying not saying Ben Askren doesn't, but anytime you fight somebody who's who has training, some form of training, there's always that chance. I'm not saying I'm not discounting been asking out of this fight been asking can absolutely win this fight but if somebody came to me and said Demi Johnson here's a million dollars who are you going to bet your money on you have to fucking bet like you either here's the deal here's a million dollars you have to bet if you don't bet I'm taking a million dollars away from you I'm like well fuck I'm throwing on Jake Paul I think he's going <laughs> to win the fight <laughs> I mean if I don't bet I'm going to lose it anyway so I'm going to go ahead and bet on Jake Paul and then I, I want I want Ben Askren to win I mean I hope he wins, right? Because he's, he's, he comes from our, my line of sport, a wrestler um, taking on a, a YouTube star. But, you know, when I look at it and I'm like, dude, like Jake Paul actually has knockout power. Like Ben Askin, you've been knocked out before. So it's not like it can't happen again. I think Ben is as gutsy as it gets because in a way he is like the weight of the world on his shoulders because it's a risky fight against a guy that a lot of people don't like and he's forever going to be etched in the in the world because of the Mazadal knockout but he handled that so well so it's almost like he got fans because of it but the whole MMA community they're like Homer Simpson and he's like Bart Simpson getting ready for a hockey game it's like dude if you lose you're out of the family do it for us do it for MMA Ben like I don't foresee you being in a situation like this anytime soon where you're like I'm going to fight this YouTube guy in a boxing match but 
How would you sort of handle all of this if you were Ben Askren? Just like he is. At the end of the day, people got to realize that we're all human, right? And we all have feelings and we all have goals. We all have we always want to put on a show for everybody. But if Ben Askren still goes out there and gets knocked knocked out and get the bricks beat off him, I'm going to treat him the same way as if he won that fight, right? I think Ben Askren is an amazing human being. He's very he's very creative. He's hilarious. I'm a big fan of his, his Twitter feed and how he just goes on there and talks so much so much stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's gonna go out there, give it a, a hell of a time, and he's gonna be. And I, I, like I said, if he goes out there and wins, I wouldn't be. I'll be. I, I'm not gonna. I'm actually gonna be surprised if he goes out there and win. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm happy he still has the ability to go out and do this, right? He's gonna go out there, and make some good money, and everybody who's gonna make fun of him, he's gonna be going to cash and check, probably Monday, Monday morning, and Danny Castillo, right? I never forget. Everybody booed him. I think it was somewhere. And he goes, you're going to boo me? You know what? That's okay. When I'm driving to the bank Monday morning to cash my check, you fuckers will all be at work <laughs> working. And I was like, you're such a gangster for saying that. And he goes, it's the truth. <laughs> he goes, I'm out here fighting my ass off and they're booing me. And I'm like, no, you're right. You're right. So um, that's always that's always a good way to look at it, right? I mean, uh, that I'll probably take that 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 saying that he said to, to the grave. Like if something came along for you to jump in the boxing ring with with somebody, like it doesn't have to be a, a YouTube guy, but if it was like a legend, the pay was great. Like Frank Mayer was going to box Antonio Tarver before the commission didn't clear him. I mean, kind of makes sense. Forty four year old and a fifty two year old boxing, and you know, just to kind of test yourself and see how you would do in in like a different combat sport. Like, would you do something like that? And if so, like, who would you want to like? do that with like even if it was like a tyson jones rocky balboa thunder lips kind of an exhibition kind of a thing like what would you want to do um uh, you know i don't mind doing uh, i might do kickbox i do kickbox against georgia petrosian even though we're at a different weight class it would be fun to he has good eyes and i'm sure i'll, I'll be curious to see how he would deal with my speed what do you think of gordon ryan sign with one um that's good i haven't been i haven't been a big I don't want to say big fan. I haven't been a. Uh, I don't follow the grappling scene, right? Because it's one element of, of combat sport. Um, but he comes from a great squad. Were you a pro wrestling guy growing up at all? I was back in the uh, the Wolf Pack and DX days, and yeah. the Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Those were the glory days. But the the new stuff now, not too much. So if like, because obviously you're going to be one's going to be following AEW on Wednesday nights. Yep. So yep. like, you know, what if what if they kind of lure try to lure you into the to the wrestling world? Would that be of any interest to you? If it was with my boy Austin Creed, yeah, I'd do it. <laughs> <laughs> I like I, I like those guys. Those guys cracked me up. Um, I forget the name of the band that their group is called, but Austin the New Creed, Day. His, their New Day, right? The New Day, the New Day. Yeah, them boys. I I I'll, I'll fuck with the new the New Day boys. I mess with them. Get you a trombone. You can start playing. Yep, like yeah, you serve out pancakes and everything. <laughs> mighty, mighty cakes. How about. <laughs> Big thank you to Demetrius Johnson for joining the program. Always just a ton of insight on his career, a variety of topics going on in the combat sports world. What a guy. Always a pleasure to talk to the UFC title defense king. Speaking of the UFC, let us get another perspective on what happened at UFC 260 on Saturday night in Las Vegas. Let us. Welcome in the number six ranked welterweight in the world, Michael Chiesa. All right, everyone's still buzzing about UFC 260, and we're happy to get some time with one of the busiest men in combat sports these days. The man is everywhere. Michael Chiesa back on the show. How's it going, man? 
Busy is an understatement, but man, it's good to be back talking to you, Mike. I always like chopping it up, talking some fights. It's always a good time. And uh, I appreciate you still making some time for us little people these days, Michael, with, with everything going on. But but uh, all kidding aside, you were on the broadcast for LFA 103 in Oklahoma. And anytime Spike Carlisle is on a card, you know chaos will ensue as well. First round oh, finish man. for him. First round finish for Vanessa Demopoulos. Abdul Kareem Al Sawadi got a first round finish as well. I assume that this was as fun to call for you as it was to watch for me. Oh man, it was a blast. I mean, the main event was great. And that, um, that, um, that Dow Dorch guy is no joke. You know, he's a, he's a big 55er and spike went out there and did his thing. Um, you know, Abdul actually fought my teammate, So that was kind of a bummer, but I mean, nonetheless, can't take away from it. He had a great performance and I know how tough my guys in my gym are. So that's, that's, that's his signature win. And, uh, I still think the standout performance though is Vanessa Demopoulos. You don't see those kind of KOs at 115 pounds and she, I mean, she looks sensational and that's a good way to rebound after that last fight. You know, she's just got this penchant for getting in these wars and, uh, she walked out of there without a scuff on her. So that was that to me, that was the standout performance of the night was Vanessa Demopoulos, but nonetheless, good fights top to bottom. Absolutely. Another thing that was, that was fun. I, I would say more terrifying than fun. If we're being honest was Francis Ngannou who closed the damn show on Saturday night and becomes the heavyweight champion of the world. It was a battle of two of the greatest heavyweights and also two of the very best people in the sport. And in the end, the predator knocks out Stipe Miocic to become the champion. He get, climbs the mountain top and has the title now what did you think watching that all play out is that how you expected it all to go uh i can't say i expected the finish but you know because i still i give credit where credit's due and i i always say that steve miocic has one of the highest fight fight iqs in the sport um so i can't say i predicted that the outcome of the fight but i can say that i did see francis's approach coming from you know a mile away like it's like he you know, even even a lot of people weren't sold on the fact that he was going to come into this fight measured just because his last fight was Rosenstrike. But I knew Francis is going to come into this fight gun swinging like he did that first fight with uh, with Stipe and not like he did in his last fight. So that's the one thing I did expect. Um, it seemed like Stipe was a little bit tentative, just not a lot of volume from the get go. I, I'm sure he wanted to wear uh, Francis down a little bit, but. Man, the, the ending sequence was, I, I tweeted it. I said it was very Overeem-esque, where Overeem has this ability to, like, throw the right, and he'll do this kind of loaded switch jab. And it's almost like uh, Francis took a page, a page out of his former foe's uh, a repertoire. So, I mean, the finish was nothing shy of stellar. Um, you know, that was, that was an amazing fight, amazing performance. And it's always sad to see a guy like Stipe's reign comes to an end and, I just think that he's he's one of the mo most underappreciated champions in the UFC we've ever had. And, uh, you know, uh, DC said it best. I think he's one of those guys we're going to really miss when, when he's gone. And I hope he's not done yet. We'll see what happens. But nonetheless, that was a hell of a main event. And probably the last one we're going to see at the Apex for a while. Probably yeah. for a very long time. Last pay-per-view at the Apex for a long time. I don't know what they're doing with the April cards or whatever they're doing going forward. But it sounds like pay-per-views at the Apex are, are done. Yeah. Get some fans back in the building and uh, and go from there. What I what, what I found fascinating about Francis's performance, especially like the last twenty seconds of the fight, is that when he dropped Stipe against the cage and Stipe was able to weather that storm, he cracked Francis Ngannou. He cracked him with a right hand, and it like 
I wouldn't say stanky leg, but it definitely like got his attention, got him moving backwards. But as soon as Stipe noticed it and tried to come in, that's when France, that's when Francis landed that short left hook. And that was the end of the fight, man. So it's almost like unfair. Like you catch him and you try to go in there and try to finish the fight. There's nothing you could do. No, not at all. And I mean, I was very surprised when Stipe running in there like that after that punch, you know, it's like, like I just said before, it's almost like I'm going to contradict myself here, but it's like, I praise the guy for his fight IQ, but that was a, that was a huge tactical error. Like a guy like Francis, you just can't go running in at him. It's like the approach with Francis going forward for every guy is going to have to be, you're just going to have to try to pick him apart, stay on the outside. You cannot get within shooting range with this guy just because whether you hurt him or not, you're just in danger all the time. And, and, uh, yeah, I was very surprised to see Stipe do that. And, and, um, and I, and it, I don't know, man. I, this kind of goes back to the kind of the narrative when uh, when Stipe fought DC the second time. You know, he he just fought DC seven months ago. You know how how compromised was he going into this Francis fight again? It's like kind of the same thing all over again. I know a lot of people don't want to see the third fight, but I just kind of feel like give Stipe Miocic a little break. Let's see what happens. I mean. Uh, what what series in, a, in the UFC with champions ends at one and one? I mean, it usually ends with a trilogy. So we'll see what happens, man. But it was it was it was a stellar fight nonetheless. I agree, and you know, you mentioned the Stipe trilogy, and I think I, th- I think he deserves that. Obviously, there are people who actually think that is the best idea. But uh, we know the fight that the majority of people want. It's Ngannou versus John Jones, and oh, yeah. this will not be easy to put together, Michael, as you probably know. Nobody thought it would be easy. Jones has already been tweeting up a storm about not getting enough money for a fight of this magnitude, and he's not wrong. And every fighter should make as much money as possible. I will never, ever go against that. He's choosing now to take this stand. He vacated the title. He's been bulking up. He made the decision to go to heavyweight. And was gonna. Uh, he was basically the plan to be next in line to fight the winner for the heavyweight title. And getting this done is gonna be a big, big challenge. In your opinion, just watching John, he already made the decision, vacated the title, bulked up. Is he playing this correctly? Do you think, or is he kind of overplaying his hand? He's no, he's not playing it correctly. And I'll tell you why. He's doing the right thing by going up a weight class. I know he's committed to it. I know he's down to fight whoever wins that fight. You can't tell me that he decided to go up to heavyweight and bank on Stipe winning the title. You know what I mean? Nobody, when people say like, he don't want to fight Francis, I'm like, no, you can't say that because why would he commit to going to heavyweight? Like if he's, if he's not willing to fight both guys, look, John Jones is one of the best in the world. He was fighting the bet. He was fighting killers at 23 years old. And I think that he likes the challenge of what, what Francis brings to the table. He knows the risks, but I, I can understand his stance on wanting to get paid more that fight. The the super fights have eluded us. The greatest super fights that could have ever happen have eluded us throughout this throughout our time in the UFC. We we never saw GSP Anderson. We never saw Anderson Jones. We never saw GSP Khabib. We never saw all these great super fights. You got to pay, you, especially for this being a heavyweight fight, and it's going to be at a big arena. You got to pay the man. The, where John's going about it wrong is this outcry on social media. Like he knows who to call. You call Hunter Campbell and you get the deal done. You start negotiations that way. You're getting off on the wrong foot by going out on social media. And I think Dana, Dana being the promoter he is, 
I think that the comment at the press conference of where he said, Oh, if I'm watching, if I'm Jones watching at home, I'm going back down to 85. No, you're being a promoter and you're trying to be like, trying to piss him off to be like, Oh yeah, watch this. You know what I mean? Trying to, trying to get him off the edge. So good on Dana to try to upset him because it did, but he's just not getting the effect that he's not getting the effect that he, that he was desiring from that. But that's just what I think Jones is doing wrong. Like, you know who to call, you know, what people you got to reach out to to make it happen. This, this outcry on social media, um, it's, it's not going to get him. It's not going to get this deal done, you know? And, and I, I respect his stance on wanting to get paid more. This is a, you know, dude, you're fighting Francis and Ghana. You're going up a weight class. This is going to be finally one of the biggest fights we will ever see in the UFC. He deserves to be paid. He just, this is just the wrong way to go about it. I'm cautiously optimistic. I feel good about it. Knocking on wood every day. Let's make this happen. But uh, (laughs) the fight that probably had your attention the most as a top 670 pounder in the world was the co-main event, Vicente Luque versus Tyron Woodley. I feel like... I feel like the term crossroad fight has been used way too loosely over the last few months. This was like the definition of a crossroads fight because you had two guys who desperately needed a win for completely different reasons. And it was an amazing fight for the little less than four minutes that it lasted. So Luke gets a submission in the first round, biggest win of his career. What did you think watching that one play out? Dude, that was awesome. That's the signature win that Luke needed. I mean, they gave him a shot against Wonderboy. Wonderboy wins the fight. And then... You know, he gets a shot again against a guy like Tyron Woodley. Like those are the those are the types of fights that get guys over the hump. Like you see, when a guy beats a former title challenger or a former champion, like those wins are what propel you to the next level. And it's not even. I think it's more of a mental thing when you finally get in there and you beat a guy that's held the title and has been in this in the position that you're striving to be in. I think you grow levels from that. That was just an awesome fight. Luke is as tough as they come. you know, we'll see what happens with Tyron. He looked good. It's just, you know, I know that with with the contract situation, going out on on four straight losses, last fight of his deal. I mean, he looked good. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't say he looked bad. He just like once again attacked Blair. You know, it's. I think that when Tyron hurt him, he could have used shorter punches instead of getting himself overextended, and maybe it would have been a different result. But I mean, Luke's shown that he's resilient. He's tough. He's got a granite chin. Uh, but that was the signature win that he needed and we'll see what happens. I mean, he's going to propel up the rankings and rate in the mix. Um, but that was an awesome win, man. That was, that fight was, uh, that was four minutes of just pure chaos. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, he's won nine out of 10 now. Like you said, he's on a tear. The one blemish was to Steven Thompson. The loss before that was to Leon Edwards. So he'll probably by tomorrow, this Tuesday, he'll be the number seven ranked guy in the division. So he gets on the microphone, had a name in mind. And he calls out Nate Diaz. What did you think of the call out? At this point, I think it makes sense. The first time he called out Nate, it was kind of like, eh, you know, kind of doesn't make the most sense. But now it's like, I think Nate, like, it's like when, when Dan Hooker had, um, who did he beat after Paul Felder? He lost, he lost to Dustin. He lost to Dustin. Maybe it was after the, the, the Felder fight that Nate tweeted, like, that he liked Dan Hooker, like out of left field. Like, I think that Nate, just like he sees the way someone fights and he, he, that's what he likes and that's what he wants. And Luke's style, I think that's the type of fight that Nate would actually, you know, possibly consider, you know what I mean? So it's not, I don't think it's out of the realm of a possibility. And I think with that type of win, I think it makes more sense. I think that Luke's style appeals to Nate and it's not that Nate goes out there looking for easy fights. Nate just wants to get in quality. Nate wants to get in quality fights. And I think Luke versus Diaz would be a quality fight. 
Um, well, I, I mean, what else like, is out there for Nate Diaz right now? Like you know what I mean? They could do the hooker fight. I mean, that's not a fight that doesn't make sense. But him and Luke also makes a lot of sense. And he says that uh, he said that he's not going back down to 55. So, I mean, why not? I mean, that's a fun fight. There's a lot of things you could do with that. So the first time he called out Nate, yeah, this time I give it a thumbs up. I hope he gets the fight. That'd be sick. Yeah, I, I agree. I was talking to John Gooden earlier, and he wasn't a big fan of the call. And I'm like, this is exactly what Nate wants. Like, Nate laid out his criteria of what he looks for for a fight. Luke's right in that mix, like, just like Oliveira. Like, I didn't think Oliveira was on Nate's radar, and here we are. I feel like Luke's in the same spot. Yeah, and it's Nate's not waiting for favorable matchups. He's like, he wants to fight tough guys. He wants to get in fun fights. He wants to fight guys that will fight him. And Luke will, Luke will fight him. Like that's a fact. Like he will meet him in the middle, and you know, I think that'd be a fun stand-up fight. And you know, both guys have submission skills. That's to me, that's the feather in the cap for for Luke. It's not just the win over Woodley. It's like to submit a guy like Tyron Woodley, Tyron Woodley doesn't even have a neck. Like that guy is just all traps, traps and shoulders with his, his head is just kind of there. He's just kind of like this and he got, he still managed to submit the guy. So that's, that's impressive in itself. So I, I like the Nate Diaz fight. That'd be a fun one for sure. Is, is Luke kind of on your radar right now? Just because he's probably going to jump up to seven. Like, is, is that a fight that would interest you at this point? Uh, I really want to crack at a guy in the top five, man. I mean, everybody's on my radar at 170 pounds. You got to be aware. You have to be aware of everybody because I could get booked against a top five guy and somebody could fall out and that could be okay. Well, now this is your short notice replacement. So you got to, you got to be aware of the entire landscape of the division. But I feel like I've earned a shot at a top five guy. And I know everybody says like the rankings don't matter and just be active and get signature wins. It's like, yeah, well, this is like a personal goal of mine. Like I already beat a guy in the top five once. I beat RDA when he was ranked number five, but now I want a shot against another guy in the top five. Like, let me get two top five wins. Like, I I feel like I deserve that. So I'm really, I'm aiming towards the top. And, uh, you know, now that my crazy ass schedule of March is over, it gives me time to actually get in the gym with some consistency. You know, I train on the road, but you know, when you're training at the grand hotel and, uh, in Oklahoma city, it's not the same as when you got a gym full of guys and, my weight room and my house and stuff and things like that. So we'll see what happens, but I'm going for the top five. July still the time frame. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, I think I, I'm looking now, like my schedule's starting to free up. I'm actually here in Tucson to help my buddy, Tyler McGuire train. He's got a fight in one FC, uh, number one contender fight for the title. Um, uh, April 7th. So this is kind of like my catalyst to kind of get the ball rolling again. And, um, yeah, I think July, you know, we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. We're going to have some discussions. We're going to figure something out. Um, but yeah, the top five is the goal, man. I mean, whoever it may be, there's not a really a particular name, just somebody in the top five, anybody I could list all, I could list them all. But, <laughs> I'm sure you can. Yeah. Cause yeah. I mean, it was Colby and, and wonder boy before, I mean, Colby yeah. was the top wonder boy. And now since we last spoke, we had Usman already defend his title. Gilbert Burns is available. Now Usman's fighting Mazadal. Leon Edwards is now back in the mix. He just fought. You yeah. Know, there's there's, like there's great, lots of options. Ton of options. Ton of options. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> I'm, I'm open to all of them. You know what I mean? I'm open to all of them. I'm not here to pick fights. I just, I, I want a guy in the top five and, uh, you know, once I get in the gym, see how I feel, then we'll get a real gauge on when I'm going to jump back in there. Cause we don't know if it's going to be a main event. We don't know what it's going to be. And if it's a main event, I want more than two and a half weeks notice for the extra two rounds. You know, I'd <laughs> like to have a, I'd like to have a 10 week camp for a main event. 
Um, so yeah, so just right now for the next couple of weeks is getting back in the gym, getting some consistency going and, uh, figuring out the next move, man. But a lot of good things to come, man. I'm excited for this year. This year's, uh, I'm finally getting the year that I wanted last year. So things are going good. Oh, by the way, like probably around a month or so ago, I was doing an interview with the fighter and he called you out. I spoke with a young man by the name of Ricky Simone and he had mentioned oh something about a tag team grappling match for submission underground. It was supposed to be him and his cousin against you and Austin Arnett. And he was waiting for you guys to, to say yes and sign the contract. And I don't know. I saw Twitter kind of talking about it as well with, with the memes and everything. What happened there from your perspective? He ducked us. He can't even say that. No, he's, we threw it out there. They're like, we're doing this tag team match. And I'm like, I was either me or Austin jumped there. Like, Hey, we want to do it. And, and then he like sent us a, a, one of us a DM. Like you guys are too big. I'm like, whatever that's an excuse and then now he's saying like oh we ducked him ricky simone you took everything i worked for motherfucker i'm grappling your fucking ass <laughs> i want you next <laughs> that's my next matchup is ricky simone and then austin can can go against his brother or his cousin or whoever the hell he was bring him on call chael make it happen submission underground 22 let's go <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Oh, a cu- couple more things. First off, back to Saturday. What did you think of uh, the performance from your fellow Maverick, Miranda, against Jillian Robertson? Stellar. I mean, dude, she's for having a, for somebody that had a tough cut. She looked freaking good, man. And she what what impressed me the most is for how young she is. She needed. You want to see where these young fighters are and how they handle a little bit of adversity. How did and she she passed that test with flying colors. She got her back taken, battled through it, got back to the and had a great third round, pitched a shutout that third round, and um, you know that was that was the win that she needed. She needed to she needed to face a little adversity, and she's big for the weight class. She and I think that the ceiling's very high. And I think one thing that might get overlooked a little bit is. She has a very high intellect. This is a, uh, I mean, she goes to school at the old dominion. She's like getting some crazy degree. Like she's, uh, she's someone to definitely keep your eyes on. I mean, I think she's a uh, ceiling's very high for, her, and that's a nice little shot of life in the flyweight division. I mean, we'll see what happens. Build her up right. And she could be a problem for a lot of these females. Yeah, I completely agree. She's, she's been on my radar for a little while now. She's got that farmer strength. She can be a tough out at 125. And, uh, last thing I, I got to get your reaction on, uh, Topanga's husband, Topanga from Boy Meets World, <laughs> the cinnamon oh toast dress shrimp guy. Luke Thomas. Luke Thomas is out here. I thought he was he won't let it go. He's trying to sabotage <laughs> this poor woman. I mean, Luke, let her let her let her live, man. Jeez. I I can't believe it. I can't believe Luke Thomas would take it that far. You know, Luke, look, man, you won the poll. Just, just let the woman live her life, dude. You don't got to go pick it on putting shrimp tails in their cereal. Shame on you, Luke Thomas. Uh, so funny, man. You broke the internet with that whole Topanga <laughs> is better than Kelly hot take on the internet. Oh, man. And now this happened. It was like, it was so funny, man. It was like, it, it was, like a year after, like one year after almost to the day. It was too perfect. Too perfect. <laughs> Great stuff from the Maverick, Michael Chiesa, one of my favorite guests to have on. Really appreciate him jumping on literally off the airplane. Really appreciate that as we get ready to wrap things up this week on the show in terms of schedules here on MMA Fighting. Got the A-side back tomorrow, which is Wednesday, depending on when you listen to this or watch this. Between the links on Thursday, we get Jose Youngs defending the BTL strap against Jed Mishu. We'll have Bellator coverage on Friday, all the post-fight interviews and scrums on our YouTube channel. And then we uh, get a little bit of a breather 
on Saturday and Sunday before we get on the road to UFC 261, on the road to Jacksonville, Florida, with a pair of Apex cards right before that, headlined by Pivotal Middleweight Bouts at Darren Till versus Marvin Vittori, April 10th. Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gastelum headlines the April 17th event. Of course, we got Jake Paul versus Ben Askren on April 17th. I'm not even going to get into that press conference because it was just absolutely ridiculous, but all I will say is that it was really bad, and the reason it was really bad is because Ben Askren was there, and if Ben Askren wasn't there, it would have been a total disaster. Total disaster, but Ben Askren was was really good, I thought. So if you haven't seen it, go. you can go back in the archives. You can watch the entire thing. I wouldn't recommend doing that. But if you just want to watch like what happened with Ben Askren and Jake Paul, I think it's kind of worth your time. It's it's really interesting stuff. But uh, big shout out to all of you watching and listening to the program. Big thank you to Jose and Cool Alex on the graphics. E. Casey Lydon, just a hero, saving the day on the production end. And of course, the guests who join us this week. One more coming up in a matter of seconds. But uh, I am Mike Heck. As always, have a heck of a week, everybody. Hopefully my voice will be back to normal by between the links on Thursday, but we will leave you this week with my chat with PFL lightweight contender, Laura Sanchez. All right, let us move ahead to another member of the PFL women's lightweight roster. Of course, she'll be part of the 2021 season and a chance at a million dollars. And as we found out literally two minutes ago, when we hit record, she's going to make her PFL debut on May 6th against Jenna Fabian. Laura Sanchez joins the program. Laura, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. So we're getting closer and closer to your second professional fight. I'm sure you're just chomping at the bit since only competing once last year. How excited are you to get back in there and compete and actually have a date to look forward to? I'm really excited. Um, I've said it before that I've had a a long um, career with, well, long time in between fights. So this one is like, yeah, I was used to having a long time in between the fight and I thought I was going to get on a roll. But now I'm just excited because PFL is a tournament, so you're going to have fights one after another. I'm just ready to get the ball rolling. I was doing some some research over the last day or so, and your road to MMA is a really interesting one because, one, you were a Division One basketball player at Western Carolina. But from mm-hmm. what I understand, basketball was there, and you were very good at it. You were built for it, but fighting was something you always wanted to do. Is that accurate? Yes, it is. Actually, I wanted to do it since I was little, probably even before I played ball. I mean, I played ball as long as I can remember, but I also remembered that, you know, I was interested in combat sports and I wanted to do that. Um, The thing is that we couldn't afford it. So basketball was just more affordable for my parents. Um, So that's where we went. And I fell in love with the game and I took it as far as I could. And um, you know, it, it taught me a lot of things, um, you know, the discipline, the coachability, the, the type of commitment you need to, to have to make it to a top level. Um, after I played D1, I actually played for a semi-pro team in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then after that, I made a pro tour team. We just couldn't seem to get their stuff together. So, um, you know, that, that, that road came to a close and um, I went into MMA because I'd always wanted to do something in, in combat sports. When you say you you had this this insight when you were little, like how little, how old were you when you were like, I want to get into fighting? Honestly, I can't even remember how old I was. I've <laughs> always had the interest. It's, 
it's kind of like when people say, how long did you play ball? Well, really, I remember the very first time I made a basket in, you know, my driveway at home and it took everything that I had to muscle the ball up there. And I was just right under the rim. So, you know, I remember that, but I also remember I always wanted, wanted to fight. So, I mean, I can't even put an age to it. What was like school like for you? Did you have like that itch and stuff? Like, were you getting into fights in school and stuff like that? Or was just something kind of in the back of your mind? It was just in the back of my mind. I I never really got into fights in school. I kind of kept to myself. I was, I'm actually pretty introverted. So like I had my friends, I was kind of kept a small circle, still do. Um, but everything was about my sports. So when I was playing ball, I figured, well, my parents put everything that they could into, you know, our private school. They didn't want us going to public school. They grew up in public school. So everything they worked for was for my siblings and myself to be in private school. And then college was on us. So while I loved playing ball, I also figured I need this to pay for my school. So I just concentrated on that. I didn't really, um, you know, go to parties and do too much. I, I didn't have that much of a social life. I mean, I, I kind of still am that way. Everything about me has been towards a career because I just I'm driven for success and, and greatness. So it's that's all I've really concentrated on. Did you watch the sport while you were growing up? Or were you watching like the UFC or, or, or any MMA or combat sports? Not really. Um, when I was playing ball, everything was eat, sleep, drink that sport. Um, so it was like, you know, I, I barely got any sleep. So everything was, you know, like classes and then multiple practices a day and then missing classes for games and everything was just about that sport. So I didn't really get to watch it too much, but if I had any downtime and I saw that there was maybe a boxing match or something on, I would tune, I would tune in. Do you remember the moment when it went from, I mean, because you, you've had this, you've wanted to be a fighter since you were little. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the moment for you when it was like, because you have aspirations, like everyone has aspirations. It's just a matter of actually pulling the trigger. Do you remember mm -hmm. when you actually like pulled the trigger on getting into the gym because you thought basketball could ultimately be your career, but do you remember mm -hmm. when you were like, okay, this probably isn't gonna, gonna happen anymore. Let's, let's get into a gym and let's get this ball rolling. So actually between my junior and senior year in college, I went to Rufus Sport to take their fitness class because when I was home briefly, I wanted to do a different type of workout instead of the standard sprints and agility. Um, I wanted to do something different, throw something different in my body. And uh, funny note, actually, when I went back my senior year for college, I passed my conditioning test on the very first try, which I never did on the very first try. So I think that the fitness class at Rupert Sport helped me with that. Um, but when I was done playing ball, I was like, well, I wanted to look up the best team um, and Rufus Sport popped up. So I, I kind of already had that introductory just to their fitness and, and the gym. Um, and then afterwards, it was really simple. I was just like, well, I got to keep moving and I got to keep moving towards something that I'm very interested in. Otherwise, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. So that's all it was. It was just I'd already experienced it kind of while I was still playing ball. So you did the conditioning, but once you went mm -hmm. in there and showed up to the gym and, and took a class and, and really got into the combat sports environment that they offer, did you just fall in love with it right away? Was it kind of a humbling experience for you? I definitely fell in love with it ASAP. Um, the thing is like, you know, we don't go in there. We don't spar right away. You know, you, you start from the bottom. So Duke has a his own kickboxing program where it's he does level you up according to a belt rank just to kind of know where everybody is, who you can really partner with, when you can start sparring. 
So, I mean, I started at the bottom and it was just learning the basics and the kicks. And I was really, I think that basketball helped me a lot with it when it comes to like athleticism and, and footwork. And, um, cause if I didn't have that experience, I don't know if I would have really understood how to, how to use my body the way that I need to. How long after you started training, did you have your first amateur fight? And what was that night like for you? Do you remember the first one? Yes. I remember the first one. Um, so I had waited for a fight a few times. So many of them were, weren't working out. And finally I got one. My very first fight was in Milwaukee. I think it was 2015. Um, so I would waited a, a couple years, but then the first fight I had, a I had an opponent and she dropped out. I think it was like just over a week out. And thankfully they found a replacement and I'd cut to 155 for that fight. And so my replacement was like, Hey, can we do 160? So I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. Um, then she ended up showing up at like 175. And I just was like, you know what, whatever, like, let's just do this because I waited way too long for this opportunity. And I just wanted to get my first fight experience, you know? So I just remember my coach was like, listen, she's just going to come and run at you. Just play Matador. Uh, cause she, obviously she was a lot bigger. She was a lot heavier than me. So her goal was to take me down. So I kind of just had to stay out of her way and just, you know, try to pick at her from the outside. Um, when I look at it, I'm just like, Oh, I could have done so much more, but you know, for a very first fight, it couldn't have gone any better. And I remember my coach saying that afterwards. So I was like, okay, like that's the first one down. We're good to go. How <laughs> <laughs> felt like you mentioned being, you know, long stretches between fights and, you know, with the weight class that you compete at, it's, it's, it can be difficult finding opponents. Yeah. How frustrating was that for you? Like trying to book fights and trying to stay active and try to get this ball rolling because, you know, like you said, it was obviously very difficult. I know you competed mm -hmm. in Gamma in 2019, which kind of got mm -hmm. the ball rolling from amateur to pro, but mm -hmm. did, did you start to question the path at all? Were you just like, eh, is this, is this the right decision? I definitely um, almost stopped before the gamma tournament, um, because yeah, I'd been training so hard and nothing was, you know, coming to fruition. And I was just like, you know, this, this doesn't seem right. Cause when I figured that I was going to Rufus Poirier, I was like, this is the best team under Duke. I have like some of the greatest teammates in my eyes, the people who I know can help me. I'm just like, I feel like everything was meant to be. Cause at the time I was right down the street. Um, I lived right down the street and I was just like, you know, how am I going to have one of the top teams right here knowing I've always been interested in fighting and not go there. Right. So I was training no fights. Yes. I almost stopped fighting by the time Gamma came around and then Duke was like, Hey, I got you into this tournament. And I was like, well, let's see if, you know, it works out. Cause of course I was just like, hopefully, you know, it actually happens and it did. And then right after that, they were able to give me my pro debut and then it was like, I think it was that week later I was signed with PFL. So I was just like, you know, I feel like I've heard the stories where a lot of fighters almost stop fighting and they're just like, cause nothing is happening. And then they finally get their opportunity. And I feel like that's what happened with me. Yeah. And I think that might've helped you along the way too, because like you said, you turn pro, you get the first round finish in January of last year, PFL brings you on and then the pandemic hits and it shuts everything mm -hmm. down, postpones yeah. the season. Yep. I know how, I know you have no control over it, but like how tough was that for you is now we're starting to gain momentum. We gone, went yeah. through gamma, went through the pro debut. Confidence is really starting to build and then everything shuts down. 
I was just like, here we go again. <laughs> I was just like, you know, it's just, I'm used to it now. But the fact is now that I'm signed with PFL, I don't have to question when my next opportunity was coming around. So I knew, okay, I'm with PFL. Thankfully they kept me on. And I just took the opportunity to enjoy practice and not worry about, oh, I've got this fight coming up. Let me hurry up and let me try to cut weight and make this. Cause that's what it was for me was, oh, this one before when I was amateurs, oh, this one's coming around. Let's get ready for this. Oh, that didn't happen. So I've got one for you next month. So I was like, like always in this mode where I was getting ready for a fight. So now when this, when COVID happened, I was like, well, I'm signed. I know I'm going to have a fight and it's going to be for, you know, next year for 2021. So I just took the opportunity to kind of just relax and enjoy my training. And I put a lot more into my arsenal um, since my pro debut. So yeah, it's gotta be refreshing for you right now. You don't only yeah. have one date, but you have potentially two dates. Like, you know, when your first yeah. fight and probably your second fight's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know much about Jenna Fabian? I know she was part of the 2019 season. She got a finish in her last fight. Then she was mm -hmm. supposed to fight Kayla Harrison in the playoffs, mm -hmm. but had to withdraw. Have you been able to learn about her? Um, I watched a couple of her fights. So I know that she's a Muay Thai world champion. She's a lefty. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I watched her. I watched a couple of things that she does. But to be honest, I mean, I can't really hold on to that because, like I said, there has been a year. And I'm very sure that all the girls have just been training and working to, to get even better. So, yeah, I, I know her stance. I know her style. But um, I'm looking forward to the challenge with her. You don't want to look too far ahead, but in a format like this, you got to be prepared for everybody, mm -hmm. obviously, but the athlete in you, you know, the competitor in you, you got to be looking at the big dogs in some mm -hmm. way, right? Like Kayla, especially the face of the promotion. She's the star. They built this division around her. And if you continue to have success at some point, your paths are going to cross. So I, I'm sure you and your team and Duke has looked at her, the challenges she presents, but I'm curious from like kind of the outside looking in, now you're going to be in the division with her. What have you made of her rise and, and your thoughts on potentially fighting Kayla sometime this year? You're right. in the fact that I don't want to overlook anybody. Yes. I know that she's the uh, current champion um, and that there's the possibility that I face her, but I also know, yes, she's judo. It's kind of the same when I looked at Jenna. Yes, she. I know what their style is um, and what their bread and butter is. So at the end of the day, when I, you know, I'm going to end up facing her, then, you know, I'll study her even more. But I, I understand, um, you know, her success and why everybody's making a big deal out of her. But then again, we have so many other big names who have signed with PFL too. So, you know, now we have Clarissa who signed, um, and so we have like judo champions, Muay Thai champions, boxing champions. So yeah, she's the current champion, but like I said, I, I don't want to look too much at her and just focus on her. I'm focused on everybody. Yeah. Some OGs in there too. You have like Cindy yeah. Dandwa, Caitlin Young's yep. in there. So, I mean, yep. there's, there's a lot of talent. Of Definitely. course, of course the goal is to win the whole thing, right? You want to go in there, win yeah. a million dollars, but other than that, you know, the activity obviously is a, is a goal and it's a good thing, but what are your like personal and professional goals for this season? Your first full one with the PFL. Um, I just want to, I'm just taking it one fight at a time. I feel like if I, if I look, you know, forward and I'm thinking about all these other things that I want to do, I, I won't, I won't live in the present moment and just take it one fight at a time. I don't like to really look too far ahead because the things that, you know, 
happen for champions, um, the blessings, everything that comes with that, that comes with your success. And you're not successful unless you're, you know, if you're, if you're not concentrated on what you're, what you're working towards. So yeah, my goals are just keep winning. I have to win in, you know, spectacular fashion and just keep moving forward and just kind of, you know, be entertaining. It's, it's an entertainment sport. So, um, I just really want to enjoy what I'm doing. Have you allowed yourself to think about the million dollars? Like, I mean, at some point it's got to like cross your mind at some point, like if you go through this thing, get to the end and win, like this will be mm -hmm. one of the biggest stories in the sport. And I know you want to take things one fight at a time. You don't want to look too, too far ahead, but what yeah. will that mean to you? If you go through this thing, win it and, and win a million dollars. It'd be life-changing, of course. You know, yeah, I've thought about it. I'm just like, yeah, if I win that million, I could finally get myself a house. You know, I, I've got a, I've got an apartment right now and I would just, I would look forward to getting a house and just being able to move forward in my life. But, you know, if I just concentrated on that, it wouldn't, I don't think that I would really perform that great because I would just be thinking money in my head, you know, instead of just loving what I'm doing and the competition. So, like I said, that stuff comes with your success. Yes, it's crossed my mind, but I'm not concentrating on it. So, I mean, so all in all, like the money's great, but it's like yeah. cherry on top of the Sunday. It's not the whole, yeah. the whole thing, right? It's just part of it. Right. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the bubble? Because it's, it's a cool setup. Everybody mm -hmm. wants to be, every, safety is the most important thing here, mm -hmm. but there's a lengthy quarantine and all, you know, safety first 17 days is, uh, is quite some time. What are your thoughts on the bubble? Um, it's interesting. I, I see why they're doing it. Um, but yeah, 17 day quarantine is a is a long time. So I'm just trying to see which coach and maybe a teammate who are going to be cornering me, which one I can bring out there, at least teammates wise to, you know, keep my training, um, going the way that I need to. Um, it, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, there's certain people, you know, I have like my, my friends and family who are like, Oh, we can't come out there and watch. Can we just like stand in the back? Maybe just peek in like, no, it's not going to work that way. You can't, sorry, you can't. And so sometimes they like, sometimes they're like, well, we still want to come out there, but maybe just hang out with you afterwards. I'm like, you guys are going to be disappointed because they're still going to try to come in and, and see, and I, you know, I'm not going to be able to get you guys in. So I think that's the only frustrating part is just, you know, the, some of my closest people, my, my parents in particular, who have always supported me um, in my dreams, uh, you know, they wanted to be there for all my fights and they did what they could to make it to as many games as they could when I was down in um, Illinois and North Carolina. So it's for them, they're just like, really frustrated about it but the bubble it's fine yeah i'm i'm with it so it's concentrated on yourself and, and your training and getting ready i guess are you like a video gamer or anything you're gonna bring like a system with you to kind of pass the time when you're not training um actually i have a full-time job still so i still have to bring my work computer out there and work in the morning and then you know, try to find my time to, to maybe if I can get some training, maybe during my lunch hour. And then obviously after I'm done with work, get most of my training in. So I'll make it work when I'm out there. But as for being a gamer, I'm not really a gamer, but the only one that I really play is Fortnite. <laughs> and it's because like, I mean, I'm not even a pro at it either. I just, I just go in there. I don't build, I don't do anything spectacular, but like if I have any time, and I'm just bored and maybe I just, I'm, my body's too tired to get up and go do anything. I'll just, I'll, maybe I'll relax and play a little bit. 
And my niece is actually in Ohio for school. So sometimes she'll be bored because it's a very weird year for her as a freshman. Um, so maybe I'll hook up with her and just that's kind of like how we interact or my nephew loves gaming. So I'll interact with him over there over the game as well. That's cool. That's really <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm the same. My, my, I have a seven year old and he plays Minecraft all the time and I, I have no idea how to play it. I just fly as high as I can and he gets all upset yeah. with me that I'm not <laughs> building houses with him. It's crazy. But uh, this is kind of one of those circumstances where like having a full time job is kind of beneficial. It takes your mind it off is. the quarantine and all that stuff. What, yeah. what do you do for full time work if you don't mind me asking? Um, I work for GE Healthcare. I'm a, what they call a field support specialist, but really what it is is engineers are out working. They're doing the physical work on machines. Um, they call me whenever they need something. I basically make sure that um, everything is done within the GE system. Oh, cool. And how, and you're able to do that remotely without any issue. Do they have to like change some things around for you to have to do it that way or? No, no, thankfully it's remote. Um, I mean, they didn't really like us working remote before. So we always, we have our laptops, but they always required us to go into the office. But thankfully, yeah, it's not, not a problem for me to work from home. So how does this fight with Jenna play out on May 6th? Like, is there a way that you're sort of picturing it playing out? I know we're like two months away, but how do we sort of set the tone for the season on May 6th? Um, it's going to be a challenge. You're going to see the, the two tallest women in the division go at it, you know, for our first, our first fight. Um, I see it playing out. It's probably going to be a striking match, but it's, it's going to be fun. She's like, I said, she's a lefty and I haven't faced someone as tall as her. I've always been much taller than my opponent. So it's just going to be a fun, a fun fight. And I'm going to come out with the win. There you go. PFL is back. The women's lightweight season kicks off May 6th. Laura Sanchez takes on Jenna Fabian. Of course, Kayla Harrison makes her debut. Fabricio Verdooms in the main event. Caitlin Young versus Cindy Dandois is on that card as well. Should be a real good one. Laura, thank you for the time. All the best to you in the rest of this camp and in the fight in a little less than two months' time. All right. Thank you for having me. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.